0: Are you ready? It's getting close, you guys. Our kids got in the van at 4 o'clock in the morning in California. They're heading this way in the minivan with two kids and a dog. Across the west, through the mountains. Anyway, it's getting close. Are you ready? You know, we call this the season of Advent because it's the time when... When we think about, step back and say, as busy as life is, remember, God intervenes. There is such a thing as a divine intervention. If Christmas is anything, it's a divine intervention as God breaks into our world and does something that only He could do because we're in a situation where if we're left to our own devices, we don't have hope, and out of love, He breaks in to give us hope. And in the season of Advent, we realized that actually some of the people, when God broke in in the person of Jesus, were actually a little disappointed. They were expecting more to happen. They were expecting their world, especially the Israelites, their nation, that they were going to be restored to greatness, and it didn't happen. Well, we realize that's because the coming of Jesus was not only a one-time event, but a two-time event, and we're living between the first and second divine interventions when Jesus broke into and will break into our world again. That's why it might seem a little funny that Christians are singing, come come the long-expected Jesus before Christmas. It's like, don't you guys know he already came? <laughs> he did. He came. But we understand that he's not done. During this season, though, before um, Christmas. We hope that, that that it does kind of give us a sense of, of of why we need a Savior and and what God has done in the first coming of Jesus, and give us a sense of longing for His second coming. But honestly, it is a time of year when we get kind of caught up with a lot of shopping, right? Um, and that's kind of changed. You stumble over packages coming in the house now on the steps, and some of you are nodding your heads. Um, I this. Uh, Advent season, I guess I experienced the brokenness of the, wor- of the world and decided that red squirrels are nothing but evil. <laughs> How many of you are convinced that red squirrels are evil? I mean, you mind your own business. You put up your Christmas decorations and they're nice. And why would a red squirrel want to chew the power cord off a light up snowman? <laughs> There's no purpose. But we put it away last year, we picked it up, and it was chewed off. It was a red squirrel. Kathy said, I can fix that, Jeff. I said, no, you can't. This is going in the garbage. I can fix that. What do you think happened? Yeah, she fixed it, yeah. If you drive by our house, you'll see Frosty right in the front yard. And uh, anyway, that's enough of that. (laughs) That is not brokenness. That is like first world issues. But the season of Advent reminds us that uh, there are way more profound ways that this world is broken in fact during the season of Advent especially here at Triumph now in December we've been going back and visiting and listening to the words of the prophets we've heard from Jeremiah how Jesus would come like a live branch out of a dead stump when Israel had had really seemed to have no hope because they just couldn't figure it out on their own life came through Jesus, we, we, we visited Malachi as Pastor Tony talked about Jesus coming as a refiner's fire to purify and get rid of all this darkness and evil. And, and the day will come when he will, which is a very hopeful thing, as long as you're ready <laughs> and not the object of his judgment. Last week, Pastor Jay had my attention as he talked about rejoicing. And how hard it is to rejoice at times if we're living careful, fearful lives. And he talked about God taking delight in us and singing over us. How often have you thought about God taking delight in you as his child and singing over you? I thought about that this week as Pastor Jay last week uh, talked to us about this. This week we are going to be hearing from the prophet Micah. I like that name for a number of reasons. One of them is because around my Christmas tree, we'll have a Micah. <laughs> you know what the name Micah means? It means, who is like the Lord? Who is like the Lord? Strong name and a great question, who is like the Lord? Did you know that the prophets comprise 20% of our Bible? Yeah, the prophets comprise 20% of our Bible. There's four major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. We might be more familiar with those, but there are 12 other ones. We call them the minor prophets because they're shorter. They're not as substantial, but they're powerful. Hosea and Amos, Nahum, Zechariah, Zephaniah, and so on. And today, we're going to take a look at Micah. The prophets are hard to read, honestly. Really. Because they talk a lot about, about kings and people and nations. And, and we sense kind of a, not only a seriousness, but almost a dire sense of, of crisis as we're reading the prophets. The prophets seem to be saying, you guys, this is not going to work very long. Do you realize we're turning your back on God? Do you realize how this is going to end? You guys think you can handle this on your own? Well, you're very, very wrong. This is how you're breaking his heart. This is how you're kindling his wrath. And this is where it's going to lead. The prophet spoke after the, the kingdom divided after Solomon uh, was done big. David, that was like the glory days of Israel. Solomon was okay, but his heart was being turned away towards the gods of the neighboring countries. And that would have consequences. Surely did, because after Solomon was gone, Israel went through a painful divorce. It was awful. It was awful. Ten of the tribes, of the twelve tribes of Israel broke off and formed the northern kingdom. They called themselves Israel. Their capital was in Samaria. And their hearts were turned after the pagan gods that God intended to be driven out of the land. No, they flirted with them. They compromised with them. And eventually they gave their hearts to them. They had set up two places to worship in the northern kingdom. One was Dan and the other one was Bethel. And... You know what they set up to worship? I know you're going to say, nah. no, they didn't. Golden calves. you think they would have learned. They set up golden calves at Dan and Bethel and worshiped them. Now, it's not just that this is a religious error, worshiping gods that aren't really God. It's a culture. It's, it's animated by something. There's a spiritual power behind the false religions. It's not God, I'll tell you that. But there are other spiritual uh, forces, and they're dark. And they are evil. I mean, really evil. And what it did to their culture, what it did to their families, what it did to their children, even to the point of human sacrifices, broke God's heart. It engendered his anger. The southern kingdom remained... the, the, The two other tribes, Judah and Benjamin, made up the southern kingdom. Their capital was in Jerusalem. And... The temple was in Jerusalem. That was the place where God met His people, right? At the temple in Jerusalem. And at the temple of Jerusalem, the, the, um, God was faithful. He was present. And the sacrifices were being offered. And, and, the, and the temple rituals were going on. But their hearts were, you know, it is possible to be really religious and have a heart that is far from God. That was Judah during this time. Judah during this time. And maybe the fact that they were religious kind of masked the crisis that they were in. The prophets came. The prophets came, and Micah was one of the prophets. The prophets came to do an intervention. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Maybe you've been part of an intervention. I've been part of an an intervention. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. You've heard Micah... You've read Micah or listened to Micah maybe without even knowing it. See if this sounds familiar. This is from Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You've heard this story. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, in Bethlehem, in Judea. Micah prophesied six or seven hundred years before Jesus was born. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who my shepherd who will shepherd my people Israel. That is the words of the prophet Micah. As he prophesied, or under the power of the Holy Spirit, predicted where the Savior would be born. God in his mercy towards us sprinkled all over the prophets, all over the Old Testament, in fact, pointing prophecies and and signs and types that when Jesus would would actually be born, there would be a ripple effect of, oh, oh, that's what this prophet meant. That's what that prophet meant. That's what that prophet meant. You see, their faith was more than focusing on an event that happened, but God's preparation for that event, that we might know that this indeed was God. Micah took part in that. Bethlehem, which had been the place where Jacob laid Benjamin's mother, Rachel, to rest. Benjamin was the youngest son of Jacob. Rachel died giving birth to him. Broke Jacob's heart. So this little village five miles south of Jerusalem was the resting place of Rachel. But later, that little village would be the place where the prophet Samuel would go under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to look for Israel's next king. We don't have time for that whole story, but that's where David is brought before the prophet after his impressive older brothers were brought. And the prophet didn't have peace about any of them. The Holy Spirit was saying, nope, 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 nope. Until David came. And we're told that God does not look on the outer appearance like we do, but he looks on the heart. And he said to Samuel, that's the one you're going to anoint. That's the one. That's my next king. That happened in Bethlehem. So Bethlehem became known as the city of David. So it had a special place, but it was special because that's where David was born. That was where David was from. And God had made promises concerning David and his dynasty. He would have a legacy that would never end. And they wondered what that would mean. Because after his son Solomon, (laughs) Israel was doing anything but thriving. They were in deep rebellion and stubbornness and eventually tragedy for going their own way. So 600 years later, when wise men from Persia were looking for where this star had led them, what specifically, what town, they went back to the writings of the prophet Micah. And Micah informed herod's bible teachers that jerusalem was the place anyway um, this is more than just a kind of a bible uh, lesson this is revealing something to us about the character of god and when we think of bethlehem we think of god as a promise making and a promise keeping god he's a promise making god and he's a promise keeping god yes the savior was born in bethlehem this is the context of, of Micah's, uh, uh, of the prophecy that later um, in Matthew would be recorded to give us a sense of how they found where Jesus was born. Uh, but before I do that, I, I'm just going to take one more, um, want to make one more comment here. Micah, uniquely in his day, was full of the Holy Spirit in a way that he spoke on behalf of God. They didn't have a Bible to turn to. I mean, they had, they had a few of the Old Testament scriptures, but that Bible was still coming together. And Micah would become part of the Bible. But we are told in Micah chapter 1, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. See, lots of names, right? The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem, those are important places. That's the capital of the northern kingdom, in divorced Israel, and the southern kingdom. The prophet spoke to all of them. He said, you're breaking God's heart. He's angry. You need to turn to him, or it's not going to go well. Now let's talk about an intervention again. You ever had someone in your life, maybe you've been that person, who was in the grips of a controlling issue, controlling substance, toxic relationship, and you are so stuck... (laughs) Then unless someone who loves you and cares about you does something very difficult and very hard, but they gather people that love you and care about you too, and they're going to speak the truth to you in love. Because they love you, they're going to say things that are hard for them to say because they aren't easy to say, but they're true. This is what you're doing to yourself. And if you continue, this is what's going to happen. And we're here to say that you're not going to be able to fix this yourself. That's often the severe mercy that ends up with a person going into treatment and getting some freedom from a controlling issue or, or whatever. But I tell you, an intervention is a cruel thing unless there's also some hope. Unless there are people that are going to say, you know what, we're with you in this. And you have to. We can't make you turn. But we're telling you, you need to turn. And as hard as it may be after you turn, we're going to be with you. We love you. We love you. In a sense, giving people the law and giving them the gospel. Well, that's kind of what the prophets did. They said to Israel, don't you understand what you're doing? Don't you understand how this is viewed by God? Don't you understand that he's a just God, that there's going to be consequences? And by the way, there's going to be consequences. This is going to get harder before it gets better. But there is hope. Let's listen as Micah says this. Micah says, But to you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she, is, she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Micah was given a sense of what God would do for his people, who they would meet eventually as they turned to him in repentance. Micah's contribution is not only to remind us that God makes promises and keeps promises, so that those of us who are looking forward to the return of Jesus, we look to those same promises and we say, we have no reason to believe God's not going to keep those promises too. But we get an idea of who the fulfillment or the, or the, the person, the person that fulfills that promise is. First of all, we see that we see that, um, we see that this, this person comes from Bethlehem. And it's interesting It's not, that Micah said that Bethlehem is small among the clans of Judah. If you're looking for God's work in this broken world <laughs> and you're looking towards those who are the most powerful, most influential uh, uh, People, you're going you're gonna to be very frustrated because God doesn't work that way. God said to the, to the Corinthians, for example, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise, not many of you were important, not many of you were powerful, for God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the strong, the foolish things to shame the wise, the things that are not to shame the things that are. We are so prone to look for powerful people to fix stuff for us, aren't we? Or think somehow that we have to get a power if we're going to fix stuff. And then we look how our Savior came into the world. How the King of kings and Lord of lords began to change things. Bethlehem was this little village Five miles south, but that's where God chose to intervene, to do His intervention and bring His glory. Little places, little people. That's where God does His work. You are small among the clans of Judah, yet out of you will come for me one who was ruler over Israel. Will he be like David? Well, not quite. His origins are from old, from ancient times. What? What? His origins are from old, from ancient times. This ruler, this king, will be like no other. (laughs) He sure is like no other. He was there at creation with the Father. It says in John of Him, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Somehow, this ruler who is from ancient days, will be like no other. We can't fix this ourselves, you guys. God had to come. God has to come. And He still comes to do what only He could do. This is a God thing. But then we read, Therefore, Israel will be abandoned. By the way, they would go into captivity in both Assyria, the northern kingdom, and Babylon, the southern kingdom. They would have to hang on with hope because judgment had been set into motion. Okay? Until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. Who do you think she is? Who do you think the son is? You're right. It's Mary. And the son is Jesus, who was like us. He was unlike anyone who had ever come, and yet he was like us in every way. This is the miracle of God's intervention. This is what Micah was pointing to. Not only that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, but he would be like no other, ancient of days. And yet he would be like us, because he came to save us. And in order for him to save us, offer his life for us, he would need to be one of us, except without sin. This is what Micah is talking about. And then he said he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. You can imagine, especially those that had some inkling of faith left and believing how hard it was to live in Micah's day with security falling apart all around them in terms of, of having a sense of we're going to be okay. You know, we can trust what's going on. We, we're going to be taken care of. That was disappearing. But they would have a shepherd one day who would stand over them in the strength of the Lord and they will live securely for then His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. That's what this king would bring. It wouldn't always happen in, this, in, in, in the way we would want it to happen in this world, or the time we would want to have it happen. And, and, it, and it doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer as this happens, but it means that our souls are safe, our souls are secure. How do we know this? Because when He came, Jesus clarified and said, By the way, I am that shepherd, and by the way, you will dwell securely. You can trust your life to Me. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. He's talking about you. You believe Jesus is the Son of God, the Lord, who died for your sins and rose again, and you're trusting with your soul? He's talking about you. He said, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, who's given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. How's that for security? No one can snatch you out of the father's hand. No matter how rough the ride gets here, you're buckled in. He's got you. You're going to be okay. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And in the majesty of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Wow. I was visiting with a friend just yesterday after brunch. We were walking downtown in Fargo, and. Uh, We were talking about confidence. Wouldn't it be great to be able to live with just a settled sense of godly confidence? Maybe some of you say, yeah, I do that every day. (laughs) Some of us struggle a little bit with that. And I said, you know, yeah, I I get the confidence part, but I would just love to live with a sense of peace, just a deep abiding peace. I'm such a fretter. (laughs) I'd like to live in peace. Well, the one who Micah saw through faith by the Holy Spirit, not as clearly as we do looking back, said, he will be our peace. <laughs> you know, how is that true? How, what does that mean? Well, Jesus, when he was here, clarified. He said, I'm the one that Micah talked about. I'm the one who will rule over you and no one can snatch you out of my, out of my hand or my father's hand. And then he said this, peace I leave with you my peace, his peace. I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Whew, that's good. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. So, what does this mean? That's a lot to get our heads around. We've been talking about prophecies from six or 700 years ago. We're talking about how they became fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. And we're living in times where we realize this Messiah still has unfinished business. He's coming again. And the worst thing that we can do is turn away from him. Very easy to be distracted these days. Very easy to have our hearts go after other things. We don't want to do that, do we? We want to remember his promises. We want to believe those promises. We want to rest in those promises. Because we're going to be okay. He's coming back, just like he came the first time. Let's pray.